Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Learn to Love podcast, your guide to everything love, sex, intimacy, and relationships. Each week, your host, Zach Beach, interviews new experts on love, including couples therapists, relationship coaches, sex educators, and best-selling authors. Learn the best tips and cutting-edge wisdom to better love yourself, others, and the world. Thanks so much for joining us. We hope you enjoy the show. Welcome to the Learn to Love podcast, everyone. I am your host, Zach Beach, and I'm here with the award-winning author, Terry Helwig. Hello, Terry, and welcome to the show. Hi, Zach. Thank you for having me on your podcast. And I have to say, I love that there's a podcast about love that's very inspiring. Well, thanks so much for coming on. And I also love the podcast. I'm a little biased, of course, but I'm really excited about your perspective today because we're going to be talking about a different love than kind of what a lot of the couples therapists, for example, have come on to talk about. And today specifically, we're going to be talking about putting loving kindness into action. And for our listeners who don't know, Terry Hellwig is an award-winning author whose new book, Shifting Shorelines, Messages from a Wiser Self, has been praised as a 21st century gift from the sea. Terry, a naturalist at heart with a master's degree in counseling psychology, finds meaning and correlation between both her inner and outer worlds. Her coming-of-age memoir, Moonlight on Linoleum, won Elle Magazine's 2012 Grand Prix Nonfiction Book of the Year. How are you today, Terry? Oh, I'm well. Thank you, Zach. Excited to be here with you. So an idea I keep coming back to lately is this idea that we can learn what it means to be human from the world around us. And this is one of the many message, messages I too found in your book that talks about your connection to the sea and the quiet reflections you have found while walking along the beach. So tell our listeners a little bit about your connection to the world and particularly the ocean. Okay. I... I truly love all of nature, and the ocean has been particularly meaningful to me. It speaks to me as an adult. I mean, I was born in Iowa, and I grew up in the Southwest, so I was really landlocked, and I love the big sky, and the ocean does share that, too. It has the big sky, but people who would read my memoir, Moonlight on Linoleum, would know a little about my childhood when it was a very turbulent childhood and I moved around a lot. I was went to 12 different schools and uh, my, my mom was married six times. And so I was trying to find a way to cope with living in a rather chaotic environment. And what I found was that nature was that common ground, that place that was always there no matter where we moved. And I also started reading like Swiss Family Robinson and Robinson Crusoe. And I fell in love with this idea of an island. It just sounded, oh, it sounded like my Eden almost. And so I used to always picture myself going and living on this imaginary island in the sea. And uh, I started coming to this island in the 1980s. And all of a sudden I realized, wow, (laughs) all those hours I spent conjuring up an island as a child had finally come to pass. And now I live on an island. And so (laughs) it's spoken greatly to me over the years. Wow. Tell us about this island you're on right now. 
Well, it's Marco Island. It's a barrier island. It's about as far south as you can go before you get to the Everglades. We're Marco Island, then there's the Everglades, and then you hit Miami and Key West on down. And we started coming here. Somebody told me about it in the 80s, and we came once, and then the next year we wanted to come again. And every year we came longer and longer until we moved here permanently. So I love your connection to the world around us and how just your writing just oozes with this appreciation. And I enjoyed your book thoroughly and just wanted to read one of the passages that you wrote and ask you about it because you wrote this. I have the luxury at this stage of my life to excavate joy from my days, no matter the direction they take. Rarely is a day devoid of at least one act of kindness, one frame of beauty, or 30,000 breaths of life. Joyful moments abound, scattered like seashells along the sea. And I love that passage because it talks about the joy that can be extracted from life and the opportunities we have to practice kindness. So I'm curious how these themes play out in your life now. What opportunities are you finding to practice kindness and find joy? Well, I'm 72 years old too. So I think this stage in life also affords me time that perhaps somebody who's a mother and a job and everything might not have as long stretches of time as I do. But I am just thrilled to be having the gift of life, the ability to experience life. And that makes me feel joyful at the very base, no matter what is going on. And if we're alive, no matter what, I think we have an opportunity to love and be kind. And it's about giving versus getting. And kindness, I looked it up on the internet just to see what people say about kindness. And there were 259 million results. Hmm. (laughs) And uh, I, I see it in people's faces People truly on the beach when you are walking, this is a place of great joy. I think people connect with nature and you can see people doing kind things like rescuing birds, picking up litter, stepping aside and letting somebody else go before them. So kindness truly boosts our serotonin and releases oxytocin. So I think it helps our heart. And so it's just... It gives me opportunity to offer grace into this world instead of turmoil and dysfunction. I love that. If we are alive, no matter what, we have an opportunity to love and be kind. I just think that's true. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, I love it because we talk a lot on the podcast about romantic love, which tends to be involving two people or love one, one person to another. But you write about and have the deep love and respect for nature, even writing that we should all leave a legacy of loving nature itself. So how can we begin to orient to nature in a more loving way? Well, I have a uh, quote by Ralph Waldo Emerson that I love, and it says, nature is loved by what is best in us. I'm going to say that again. Nature is loved by what is best in us. So I think it is monumentally important for us to connect with nature because it brings out the best in us. And it was always very important for me to try to give, I have 
one daughter. That's she's my only child. But to try to give her a respect for the world and nature and the land. And so we would often go out on walks and pick her up from school and have a watermelon and spread a blanket out on a on the ground beneath a tree and eat it after school and find out how her day went. And so we were always outdoors promoting this connection to nature. And I know she went away in high school, my daughter Mandy, to adventures. I think it was Adventures Cross Country. And she was out in nature for several weeks and she came back and she said, oh, mom, I was just sitting there. And she said, I found myself out there. And I thought, that's what a mother would want for a child, you know, that it could have that kind of import on her. And in my book, I also have a section that I call Delight in the Natural World. And so these are just some simple ways. And that's the way I've done it in our family. It's like find a star in the sky and name it. We have a constellation uh, that represents the three members of our family. Uh, It's important to pay attention to the movement of the sun in your corner of the world. You know, what windows or trees does the sun come in in your house when it's autumn or when it's winter? And I just am now getting uh, prisms in, in one room that I have uh, hanging in the window, you know, I get the rainbows and it's like, oh, I know it's fall because <laughs> every fall and spring, the prisms are there. So it's a way to be in touch. And I, you know, I, I live dance with the wind or a wave or the sky, take a discovery walk in the environment that indigenous people sometimes would call this a medicine walk and see what message nature might have for you that day. So I really resonate with so much of what you're saying. It's so beautiful, even just your idea of finding a star in the sky and naming it. I think that's really beautiful. (laughs) And I also really have this appreciation for nature, love going on walks, love going on hikes, love even just sitting in in nature and meditating. But something that comes up for me a lot of times is grief, mainly about like the wanton destruction of the environment, even in California, You walk outside and sometimes there's smoke from fires and thousands of acres that are getting burned down. And I'm wondering how, you know, you might deal with this. How do we have this reverence for nature, but also, you know, species are dying. The planet is on fire. You're in hurricane uh, (laughs) uh, geography, right, too. So let's say, you know, I want to appreciate all the beautiful things, but also some fear, worry, grief comes up when I think about the state that the natural world is in. So how can we best cope with that? Well, that is an excellent question. And for me in this area, because you're right, it's the fires that are out west and it's our polluted oceans and, you know, the rising um, sea tides and animals here because the grasses are disappearing, the manatees are starving. And so it's it's very hard, I think, for us to keep hope alive when these things are happening. But I think it's all the more critical that we try to keep that candle flame going. I try in the smallest ways that I have of trying to help out, you know, uh, uh, choices of what I buy and choices of picking up litter and my little spot. If I can do one thing that I helps the environment, I've rescued birds and taken event in for various reasons that, you know, sometimes they're just starving. Sometimes they have a broken wing 
And I know our world is hurting and our, uh, you know, our mother is hurting and all the more she needs us, I think, not to lose hope and just to try. I believe our thoughts are so important. So if we can just send out vibrations, (laughs) maybe in some way that helps. My daughter is, um, she's an environmental lawyer, but she's going, yes, she worked worked at- Like mother, like daughter. (laughs) Well, and she worked with the EPA and then she also worked with NOAA and the deep water oil spill, you know. So, and she's going a, a little different direction now because she said, it's not working so much from the top down. We need to work from the bottom up. And and that's kind of changing people's ideas. Instead of punishing them, it's more like educating them. So I think there's a lot of wisdom in that. But I I have I share your grief. You know, I absolutely do. And it is um it's enough to make you weep. And yet there still is this beauty after this hurricane can come through and do all this devastation. And then the next day, the sun could just be shining. You know, (laughs) it's amazing. Yeah, I love your emphasis on the small things and appreciating the small things. And also that even the smallest actions kind of send out vibrations to the world around us. And let's move into kind of today's topic on loving kindness. Coming from meditation communities, I think, oh, loving kindness, like metta, the Buddhist word for (laughs) (laughs) loving kindness. What does loving kindness mean to you? Well, it certainly does mean being present, but mine's not so much about being present. And it's a, a wakeful meditation, being present in the world and throwing open. I think of it as throwing open the doors to my heart, or I've even thought of it as lowering a drawbridge over the moat of my ego, which allows me to be vulnerable, allows me to let others in and compassion. And even that grief that you're talking about, allow myself to even feel that and then to try to offer grace back out. So I love this metaphor. So the moat is your ego. So what's the (laughs) castle? (laughs) (laughs) The castle is... The self with the capital S, I guess you would say. I'm a Jungian psychology, you know, that's uh, always been important to me. But the castle is our highest essence. It's the spiritual being having the human experience. And so that opens up whatever it is we achieve in meditation, that awakening to what is. That's what the castle is. And the moat is the bridge that goes over our ego. (laughs) Or, you know, the drawbridge. The moat is our ego, but the drawbridge goes over it when we allow ourselves to be vulnerable and to have compassion for others. I love that image. I also love the image you said earlier about throwing open the doors to your heart. And I'm sure you're familiar with the work of Mary Oliver. And she does have this simple like three-step process of pay attention, be astonished and tell someone, which I feel very much is in line with your work of paying attention to the big and small beauties around us and then writing about it in a beautiful way. Absolutely. I love her, her poetry. And so true. So let's talk about putting loving kindness into action then. So if loving kindness is throwing open the doors to our heart and lowering the bridge over the mode of the ego, how do we put our loving kindness into action? Again, I think we go back to 
there are the big, great, huge ways. You know, you join the Peace Corps, you become Mother Teresa, and there are these huge ways. I did have the privilege and pleasure of hearing Mother Teresa speak once. And truly, her message was, go home and love your families. Be kind to your neighbors. Do this great work in your little realm, you know. And we can't help everyone, but everyone can help someone. And that would just be a different world if we would try to just help someone. And so putting loving kindness into action also for me means acting versus reacting. And again, it's offering grace and kind of leaving a fragrance of kindness where you've been instead of a a negative dense energy, maybe just a fragrance of kindness. And let the world become your meditation cushion. That's that's what it does for me. I love your imagery, leaving a fragrance of kindness where you have been. <laughs> <laughs> There's something that I've re- I read a long time ago. I think it was in the Apples of Gold. And it said, fragrance, and now am I going to be able to remember this? Forgiveness is the fragrance of violet leaves on the heel that crushed it. I just thought that was so lovely. (laughs) So it's interesting because I recently had a researcher from Stanford on the podcast and we were talking about happiness and she was saying how absolutely the research shows that kindness and altruism and giving do create more happiness for ourselves, that one of the best ways to be happy is to help others be happy. And I regret not asking her more about like what actions all of us can do in our own lives in order to give kindness and altruistic acts acts to others. But I have you here and I'm going to ask you this question (laughs) (laughs) because, you know, I was thinking about it. I was like, I want to be, you know, I want to help others. Right. So, and I walk out the door and I'm like, does anyone here need help? (laughs) (laughs) So, um, So I am curious for those listeners who want to be in service of others, who want to help people that need help. My mind goes to like, I guess, volunteer to soup kitchen or something. Like what are some real active ways that we can do things to help others? Well, I will. I was even going to give a lot of examples of very concrete ways to do that under some different types of actions we can take. I'll be maybe just a little bit more general at this point. And it it is really simple. I, I do think sometimes we think, and that's wonderful if we go out and you know, join the Y and help children learn to read, or we go volunteer at a soup kitchen or a library. These are all very worthy, necessary activities that we can do that help. But we can let it play out in in the ways that we just live our day, I believe. And uh, this, this comes to mind because I saw it not too long ago. There was a man on the street corner and he was holding up a sign because, you know, so many people are protesting different things. And his sign I read in our little island, it just said, love one another. And people were coming by and honking and waving and he was waving. And that that just made me smile, you know. <laughs> and sometimes what we can do is just be an example, I think, of joy and happiness. I'm thinking of someone, and I wrote about him in my book. His name is Paul, and he rents beach umbrellas on the beach. And all of these years of walking up and down the beach, 
Paul's smile. It, it, you know, it was just something that stood out. And so we'd start saying hi. And I'd say, how are you, Paul? And he's going, oh, it, I'm just wonderful. Isn't this a beautiful day? Aren't we so lucky to be here? And I'm telling you, anybody that walks that beach so much is just thrilled to come upon Paul and say hi, because he brightens their day. And as a matter of fact, a few months ago, our newspaper did an article about him. And it's, you know, it, it's him being, it's him loving life, sharing his his happiness with others and making you feel better for having, I guess, his leaving his fragrance, you know. And people, they don't even know how their kindness touches me. Them living their example, like every time I see an adult bend down and console a child or someone stops to lend a hand to someone or to open a door or to move out of the way or someone's feeding a stray or saving a bird, that kindness touches me. And so I'm. It, there are large ways and I'm saying there are very small ways. And I, like I said, I'll get into a, a few more concrete ways too, if you want to talk about those. Yeah, absolutely. I do. And just listening to your, what you just said, I was reminded of just all the times in our life where the small actions really had an effect. Like when I think about being in middle or high school, it's often like not necessarily the teacher that made an impact, but the crossing guard who smiled and wished everyone a wonderful day or the janitor who was in the room and kind of learned the names of the students and, and asked how they were doing. Well, that's exactly right. You just gave me chills <laughs> because <laughs> I had a, a crossing, a traffic cop from 40 years ago. And it was cold, snowy mornings in upstate New York. And that man's smile and his radiance just beamed every morning, warmed me up, made the winter so great. And the only thing I regretted is that I had I never told him. I never told him what it meant to me. And he has no idea 40 years later that I still remember him so fondly. But that's the reason I wrote a section about Paul, because I thought I don't want him not to know how much his <laughs> presence has meant to me. <laughs> that's beautiful. So indeed, you do talk about five different categories of actions that we can take. So what are those categories? They are... I call it dedicated action, anonymous action, tailored action, grateful action, and considerate action. And I think I would like to preface it by saying, again, I call these like quiet actions, and I call them uh, quiet because they're subtle ways. I believe that subtle things can really make a difference. I don't know if you've ever done that exercise where you're in a group a circle of people and they toss a skein of thread back and forth. Have you ever done that where they build a web? I have. Okay. And, and I love that. And everybody's holding on to that web. And then you just say something like somebody moved their littlest finger and one person moves their finger and that whole web vibrates. And so I think that's how we're connected. And that's how I think these things that we do is they vibrate the larger web. and. Einstein even said, you know, he thinks that everything in life, he said, everything in life is a vibration. So I believe that our intentions and our thoughts matter and that we can help raise a vibration toward love and well-being. So I'll get into the actions that I'm talking about, like the dedicated intentional action. This 
I think, helps us evolve as a human being because it makes us more mindful of of what we're doing and putting intention into what we're doing. And so I consider this is when we offer loving kindness towards ourselves or others or the planet by dedicating some activity that we're doing that we would normally be doing for a higher purpose. For instance, this interview with you today, I'm dedicating this to my daughter, Mandy. Uh For her to go out and just kind of be bold and to take her truth out. You know, as I said, she was an environmental lawyer and now she's wanting to uh, really look into sustainable agriculture and find her place and stand her ground in that realm. And it's a very worthy cause. And then she told me that when she she's run four marathons and she said, you know what I would do, mom, I would dedicate a mile, every mile to a different person. And that helped her get through her mar- uh, her marathon. So we can, um, you know, when we're cooking, walking, doing our yoga practice, I talk a little bit later about how I dedicate my heart practice. And it doesn't even have to be anything positive. Uh, I remember it, it's just a reframing of what we're doing. And so uh, I had put out the trash one day and there were all of these little popcorn styrofoam pellets that were in the trash. And I guess a raccoon had gotten into it overnight. And I woke to the morning and they were all over my lawn and the neighbor's lawn and they wouldn't rake. And the only way I could figure out how to get rid of those was to pick them up by hand. And there were just hundreds. So every single one I picked up, I thought I'm, you know, sending loving energy to this person and that person and for the world and for this. And what it does is it changes me. It changes my attitude. And maybe it's just vibrating that big web just a little bit. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. So this interview is dedicated to your daughter, Mandy. Mm -hmm. I'll be sure to put that in the notes. (laughs) Okay. Yeah, you know, we write a book and we dedicate the the book to somebody, but we can dedicate any activity that we do for someone that we love and wish well. Yeah, that's really wonderful. You know, it's also something I try to bring into anytime I teach like a yoga class or anytime I teach a meditation class. Indeed, it is really important to start with an intention, but people often forget to finish with that dedication, which to me is a really wonderful way to kind of drop out of, I'll use the extreme word narcissism, of seeing like the things that we do as being only for ourselves. But think about what higher purpose, what other people can we do our actions for so that we can fill our own cup and then fill others' cups as well? Absolutely. I love the meta meditation by the Dalai Lama. He, you know, he has one on his website and that's, may I be happy, may I be safe, may I be at ease, may I be peaceful. And then you think of somebody else and then you say, may they be happy, may they be safe, may they be at ease, may they be peaceful. So it's, it's receiving and giving this type of um, dedication intention I'm talking about. So that's a dedicated action. And next you listed anonymous. So what are our anonymous actions? Anonymous actions. I think these can sometimes be the most fun. They're, they can t- 
tickle me anyway, if I do something and somebody doesn't know I've done something. But I love a quote by Morgan Freeman, and he says, how do we change the world? And he says, one random act of kindness at a time. And uh, you're probably too young to remember this, because I don't think this is too much a custom anymore. But when I was younger, we had something that we called May Day. And did you have you heard of that? I don't think so. Okay. Well, what we would do on May Day, the custom was that you would make little baskets of goodies and they would have maybe candies or flowers or something. And you can make like paper baskets. They were, they were small, but you would put them on people's doorsteps and then you would ring the doorbell or knock on the door and then run away. So they wouldn't know who left it, but you'd try to hide. So when they came to the door and looked around, you know, and then they would look down and see that. And it was just a way of secretly giving. And I was young, but I just remember how tickled I got doing that. That was kind of my first experience of giving some you know, something to somebody anonymously. And uh, so like today, I, I, there's a thousand ways to do it, but you could pay somebody's uh, car toll or put money in an expired meter. You can pay, I've done this before, only because I read about somebody doing this and paid for someone's lunch and they didn't know it because they were sad and crying. I don't know why, but I I did that. I have a friend who weeds a public garden and nobody knows about it. And you know, it's just the fact of offering grace and giving somebody the benefit of the doubt. And we also have a woman on the beach, and I don't know who she is, but she washes shells that she finds every morning, and she places them on a boardwalk, and people and children, you know, they pick them up and take them, and I smile every time I I see what she does. So it's just the little ways that other people won't know. They're just uh, receiving a little gift of kindness, but you, you know it, and I think that feels good. It does. You know, it does feel good to make others happy. And I was just thinking, I wasn't quite anonymous, but I was just in the grocery store the other day and I had a lot of stuff in my cart. The person behind me just had a few things and I was like, you go ahead. And they were like, oh, thanks so much. I'm in a hurry. So there's a million and one ways to do it. Exactly. That's exactly it. And if we, instead of, you know, like elbowing your way in front of somebody in line and somebody kind of gesturing like you did. There's a whole different energy in the room when that happens. And so that that's beautiful. That's exactly what I'm talking about. Hmm. So another one you have is tailored. So what does it mean to put tailored loving kindness into action? And all of these kind of probably overlap and everything, but it's a way to look at them and say some general things about them. But tailored action came to me because I had several friends and, you know, some were sick, hurt and grieving. And our tendency sometimes is to say, call me if you need anything. And the feedback that I've gotten from my friends later on down the road was they feel so overwhelmed. They don't even know what they need. And they certainly, you know, are very reticent usually to pick up the phone and just call somebody up and tell them uh, that they need something. So I've asked them, I said, well, what would be more helpful to you? And it was said, if somebody would just offer a specific thing, like, could I mow your lawn for you? Or do you need somebody to take the trash out? Or could I make calls for you or walk your dog? Could I, you know, I'm going to the drugstore. Do you want me to pick up a prescription? Or I had a 
I go to the deli here and I knew somebody was sick here, his wife. And I said, I'm going to the deli. Do you want me to pick up some of their today's soup? You know, it's just little things like that. My daughter went to the farmer's market and her friend is battling uh, brain cancer. And it was October. So she brought home a pumpkin, you know. And of course, there's making meals. But somebody told me that if, if you make a meal, it might be good to make one that can be in the freezer because sometimes you'll need the meal a little farther down the road. Or this day and age, you can give somebody a coupon to DoorDash and then they can order whatever meals that we need. I know I had a friend who was having a hip replacement surgery and and she broke her femur and she's going to be in bed. And I thought, gosh, what could I, what could I do? Some little thing. And I thought, I'm going to send her satin pillowcases. <laughs> she's going to spend, spend wow. so much time in bed. And she just loved those, you know. And then just recently, uh, another person that a group of us know went into the hospital in New York City. And we heard that one of her friends wrote a note. And she wrote it as if this woman that's in the hospital was speaking. And she described herself and who she was. And she was, uh, you know, she said, my friends wanted you to know this about me. And they went on to describe her and what she did. And it was a note to put on the door of her hospital room. And I thought, wow, that turned somebody into more than just a name and a number, you know, it was, uh, and I just thought that was, that was so tailor-made. That was so beautiful. And I, I try to, I keep a friend's calendar and I'll put on there when people are having tests or operations or trips or an anniversary of a loss, just to, to, to remember people in those little ways. Yeah, I love that. You know, every once in a while, I'll see a friend do like a Facebook status and it says something like, if you need anything, I'm here for you. And I love the sentiment behind it. But there is that like, I don't want to reach out, you know, that might uh, might be imposing. And there's such a big difference between that and just like, say, sending a message to like 10 people or sending a message to one person. And it could be something from a compliment to something from an offer or to something like you said, you know, any sort of gift or anything that we could do to just bring ease to a person's life. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, sometimes it it's... Uh hard for them to think of what might be helpful. And we're not going through the crisis. So maybe we can get creative probably in thinking of a way to help them out. So we're running a bit low in time and we're going to do two things to finish out. So first, I have to ask you the question I finish all my shows with. And then you have a passage you'd like to read us from your book. So I want to make time for that as well. So first, I have to ask you, what do you wish everyone knew about love? I wish that everyone knew about the math of love. Love is about addition and multiplication. And it's not about division and subtraction. It's not about less than. It's about more than. And the thing about love is the more you give away, the more you have. I love it. I'm almost imagining like a poster in in, uh, math class that says that. Did you come up with that yourself? It's so wonderful. I did. Yeah. I, I wrote about that in, in the book and it was in a, s- a story of like incorporating another family and the worry on someone's part that, oh, you know, almost like, do we have enough love to go around? And it's like, oh yeah, the, the math of love, you know, it's all about <laughs> addition and multiplication. It's not about subtraction. That's beautiful. Thank you so much for sharing that. 
and I'll leave it to you to read the passage from your book. Okay. This is an example of what I was talking about earlier about how to have our intention about what we do. The C is a good listener. Maybe this is why people trouble to find a shell or a piece of driftwood to carve a message into the flesh of tidewash sand. I call these messages sand writings. They remind me of a roar shock, revealing what lies within the heart. I often pause and wonder about the authors of these messages. Are they male or female, young or old, madly in love or looking for love? Is this their first visit to the island or have they, like me, been walking this beach for decades? One thing seems certain, we're all drawn to the sea. I stroll south now toward a particular sand writing. I noticed it yesterday from my window. I'm curious why the morning beach plow spared it. I often watch the plow humming along the shore, raking our strand of beach, smoothing it for another day. Occasionally, the plow spares an exceptional sandcastle, but I've never seen it curve a clawed path around a sand writing. It did the same today, and that's two days in a row. I've put off practicing my harp to see why plus a morning walk beneath the brush strokes of dawn, is like a tuning key for my soul and psyche. I know about tuning keys. I bought one last year along with a Celtic harp. After visiting Trinity College in Dublin, where I admired an exquisitely carved 800-year-old harp in the book-laden long room, I decided to join the bards and take up lessons. Unfortunately, a bard I will never be. It seems I'm much better at tuning my harp rather than playing it. My fingers falter when I try to translate the hieroglyphic black notes in my music book into a song. Still, I persevere, but only because I have reframed my efforts. Instead of referring to my harp lessons as harp practice, I now call them harp prayer. Instead of fretting about proficiency, I focus on intention. This shift allows me to imagine that each plucked harp string, no matter how off-key or off-tempo, releases a vibration of love and prayer into the world, radiating outward into the universe. However, at the moment, my heart feels heavy. I see why the morning plow curved around the sand writing. The words aren't the usual fare of love initials or birthday wishes or where someone is from. The words strike a profound chord of loss. We miss you, Corey. Love, Daddy. I stand there quietly absorbing the grief of the sandy epitaph. I picture Corey's dad at the edge of the shore, his silhouette bending and rising as he bears the words of his broken heart. Later, after returning from my walk, I cradle my harp, bracket my fingers on the strings, and begin to play morning has broken. I imagine my halting notes are prayers, filling hollowed places. I play for the people in my life who are struggling and hurting. I play for the people who are gone. I play for the world's brokenness. And today, most especially today, I play for Corey's grief-stricken family. Are you still with me, Zach? I'm here. Yeah, I was absorbing. Oh, sorry. <laughs> As a fellow writer, I have to say that you are an incredible writer, and I love your 
use of imagery and also just how well it all flows together. Thank you. So your new book is Shifting Shorelines, Messages from a Wiser Self. And for our listeners who want to learn more about you, how can they find you? I have a website, terryhelwig.com, and I'm on Instagram at terryhelwigauthor. And um, I also have a Facebook page for my books. If you look up my website, you can find it all. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much, Terry, for coming on to the show, for sharing us your love of life, including (laughs) the love of nature and the love for others, and for sharing with us all the wonderful and beautiful, big and small ways that we can bring kindness, bring random acts of kindness to others. And as you said, leaving a fragrance of kindness where we have been and that we can throw open the doors to our hearts. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you. Thank you so much. It's been delightful to be here with you. Take care. Okay. Bye-bye. Thanks again for listening to the Learn to Love podcast. To learn more about the show and your host, head over to ZachBeach.com or TheHeartCenter.com. You can also follow Zach on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram.